A quick disclaimer about the individual podcast recording you are about to hear. There was an unexpected set of challenges with the recording of tonight's live Clubhouse event due to circumstances beyond the control of Clubhouse, our host, the producer, and certainly the guest who made great contribution to tonight's live Clubhouse event. These circumstances that created a considerable and in some cases untenable audio forced us to make some concessions with the podcast content and length and has resulted in significant edits during parts of our interviews with individual guests. We usually do not do any editing of guest or audio from these live events on Clubhouse. So, know that this is a very unusual set of conditions, but also know that we felt the content from our guest tonight was significant and worth giving you a version of tonight's live event in podcast form, no matter the imperfection of the audio. My name is Lloyd Ford. I am a strategic branding consultant and talent coach with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. Our local radio clients talk about the difference our music lab and our morning show fame development coaching make for them directly in terms of both ratings and revenue. Our guest on this live event right now, Sharina Rice is the co-founder and chief scientific officer for Intivo. Craig Davis is with us too. He is the president of Music Matters and what is coming next week on Innovation and Audio. J.C. Derrick will be our guest on Innovation and Audio. He is a publisher with Main Street Daily News in Gainesville, Florida. Now you might go, wait a minute, that's like a newspaper, right? Nope. We've got a guest for our live event, Innovation and Audio, on Clubhouse, scheduled all the way through September. We are here to encourage you. Please follow the people on stage that you see tonight in this event and look around the room. The Encouragers is also about connecting with others. Our first guest is Sharina Rice. She's wicked smart, and she deals with leading-edge innovation every day. And that has put Sharina squarely in as our first guest in this live event called Innovation and Audio. Sharina, how are you? I have recently defended my dissertation in neuroscience and have uh, been in the midst of a lot, lot, lot of edits. You know, that that's lovely because we are going to talk about you are, let's call you aggressive. That's, I would say that you're aggressive. So let's start with Intivo. Can you walk us through what this is for us civilians? And in what area of innovation do you operate? Intivo is a company that creates pedestrian behavior prediction software. A big problem that prevents Autonomous vehicles from really coming to market is predicting the pedestrians and where people are going to walk or move next so that the autonomous vehicles do not hit the people. Well, that is a huge problem. And we solve this by using behavioral science, which is my background, and taking that to be able to classify things with computer vision, sending a warning to the driver if there is a pedestrian at risk. What I do is I expand human potential with various different things. You're using your brain to get in on the ground floor of a lot of really exciting things. Would that 
say. When it comes to what people want and what they need out of their experience of life and of safety and of connections, yes, it is It is a good investment of my mind. <laughs> when it comes to innovation, I had a point a few years ago of being at this crossroads where I could choose to either train as a Buddhist priest because I had completed some prerequisites to get into the seminary and I lived in a Buddhist temple at that point. Or I could choose to start a company with this person whom I just met and realized that I could invert more suffering by going with the technological innovation, especially that which scales. Avoiding suffering? That's what I'm hearing? That motivated you? Not just avoiding suffering, but inverting suffering for many, many, many people beyond myself. Taking a lot of things that make me angry or sad about the world and just being able to create technology from that or just being really, really motivated to solve the problems that there are. Also, given that I have a neuroscience background and I have a lot of fun with my robotics hobbies, it seems like a really good way to go. Early on as a child, you were really interested in human behavior. Is that more or less true now? And how does that compare or is it merging in your mind with extended reality? There's the question of where does one thing start? Where does the next thing end? Where is the line? I would say that most people, they don't know very much about artificial intelligence. They don't really know how to talk well about the topic. They don't really know about what regulations to ask for from it from their elected officials. And then they continue trying to do things with business as usual. For example, in the ways of how the education system and various other systems are structured, where things could be made quite a lot better or quite a lot worse depending on who is in control of the artificial intelligence. Yes. So it is extremely useful for people to at least have some literacy in, okay, what is artificial intelligence and what should we ask for about it and how should we think through it? It is kind of amazing too that in the educational system itself, People learn how to code, they learn how to do math, and these are skills that are emphasized, that and reading. But what about ethics? It seems like people don't even take an ethics class until they decide to do so in university if they decide to do that and go for it. So there's the question of where does the conversation really start there? And how can that be merged also with this new technological era that we are entering. Well, and look, it seems to me like just talking to you for a few minutes, you kind of started with ethics. You kind of started with, this must be for the good. That's what turns you on about this, right? Yep. yep. Otherwise, That's what's the point for me? Right. Most people in the world today, they don't work in this space that you work in. What is so exciting? Now, I know what's not exciting about tech startup because you use the word equity, and I know that that means, hey, man, if it hasn't paid off yet, it's just equity that hasn't whatever. But what what is exciting about tech startup leadership to you? Ah, uh, yes. Well, there are multiple equities when it comes to equity. There is equity in relationships. There are equities that will possibly pay off down the road. 
there are lots of things that go into such an investment. So I get to work with amazing people who are working on changing the world in in all kinds of ways, from Parkinson's healthcare to preventing cars from hitting humans. And for these people, they often they're taking responsibility for some problem in the world. It's not just a nine to five job. And it also means that I can bring ideas to the table in these companies and make a difference through them. It's really, really rewarding. Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's let's talk about this word because we're encouragers here on the encouragers, as you might expect. How positive are you about our future as a race? That's a big question. And the merge lane between human behavior and technology, because we're really right there on the cusp of that, right? We're already there. I mean, as long as people have used tools, shovels, watches, computers. So there is the question of, okay, where do we actually end? Where do we actually begin? How here is here? <laughs> and I think that it's all really just a gradient where things are more or less us and we are more or less the things that we use. And, and how much of your activity is math? How much is philosophy? And how much is science? I would say 100% is philosophy. Really? <laughs> I am a thinker who thinks about thinking. As for science, there's a lot that we just don't know about how the natural world works. There's a lot of technology that could be met, made better through a better understanding of science. And so I try to use what we know. So I think of this sort of as a stack where, okay, philosophy, it is the foundation of science. Science is a search for truth in a certain direction. And then on top of that, there's technology, which is often based on science. If it's not based on science, then you get problems of things that don't actually work or things that don't do what they say that they do. So, look, you're a person that clearly you think a lot. The other thing about you, though, is I'm real curious. You know, you, you just did your dissertation, and, and but you've got all these roles that you're doing. How much of your waking time are you spending working on things? Well, I have promised my advisor that I am not going to think about startups at all until after I have this entire dissertation finished. So... That is going to be about one month from now. So I have not been working on my startups. So you're going to ramp up your activity is what it sounds like to me. Yes. And you are excited and looking forward to this, aren't you? I feel like I am sitting on my hands. Where in the world would you like to see yourself in 10 years? Or is that hard? Right now I'm looking at a certain piece of paper on my wall where there's a a rocket ship and it says moonshots on it and then under it it says that it's fueled by roots in reality so that's what i would like to be doing i would like to be the managing director of a portfolio that i would call yellow pill ventures because there's the question of do you take the red pill or the blue pill and my answer to that is that i would synthesize a whole nother pill and then make it the yellow pill. And with that, I would take my scientific background and my ability to think through problems as a philosopher and bring moonshots 
that are rooted in reality to life. Serena, I I almost hate to kind of close here on this part. And and for that reason, I'm going to say to you, thank you for spending your time with us and for being so helpful with answers to these questions of mine. I will ask that you please stick around for a few minutes in case some of our audience might be able to or might like to ask you a few potential questions at the end of this event as well. By the way, you you probably can tell we do believe in mentors on the encouragers. Don't forget to connect with and follow the people on the stage and in the room tonight. I'm a strong believer that we're better together and we're better with a mentor. If you've not joined this group, the encouragers yet, please do so tonight. Share our group and our Wednesday night live event, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific called Innovation and Audio, what you're hearing right now, specifically with your friends in the business of audio or innovation. All are welcome. You know this, but please do share with others that our Clubhouse events are now welcoming both Android and iPhone users. All are welcome. By the way, did you know that there's a way that you can nominate others to join the encouragers right on your screen? If you look down, you can see it. It's the little plus symbol, I think, will get you there. Uh, If not, right on this screen itself for the encouragers. It gives you an opportunity to nominate folks. Also, don't forget... Our Monday live events, the radio rally, this coming Monday, we're welcoming what we're calling Find Your Voice and Stay Positive as a live event. Our special guest will be Rick Party. Yes, you know him as a national radio host of VoiceOver Pro and host of the Rick Party Show. He's going to be here. And he's also going to have somebody else with him. He'll be joined by Scott Gaines, who is the ops manager for Alpha Media USA's Amarillo Operations. We're going to get a little Texas in there for you. Make plans to join us Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, for some great insight from both of these radio pros. Now I get to turn my attention uh, to another great interview and another great guest, and that means Skip Dillard has arrived to uh, have a little conversation with our next guest. All right. Well, you know, I've uh, always enjoyed these Wednesdays, Lloyd, and, um, you know, it's always a very uh, fascinating look. list and roster of guests every week and and this one uh, certainly is no different i've known him for quite a long time and and he is uh you know one of those that you know not only do i uh, respect and work with but you know often call on him for advice and insight and um we'll get into that in just a second craig how are you doing tonight man I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking, and thank you for having me, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I guess, Craig, you know, to start off, you know, like so many industry uh, execs, uh, surprisingly, you found your way to the uh, music side or record side of the industry through uh, radio. You know, I guess we can start out by a little bit about your career and, and how you transitioned to the record side and, uh, you know, some of the labels you've worked with and artists over the years. I started, um, my love of music started from, I think, my aunt's turntable, but that slowly progressed to radio. And I fell in love with radio very early. I think my dad said 7 o'clock, I used to go to bed with listening to the radio. So radio was a real great part of my start. Um, When I went to college I started my radio career in college like a lot of kids did and really happy about that and from there 
I uh, started working at a radio station in Philadelphia, WUSL. It was uh, at a time when USL first came into the marketplace, and their only, the only competitor during that time was WDAS, which was is still there now, and they're actually part of the same corporation. But when I started at radio, I started at WUSL in Philadelphia. It was an amazing time. We were new. I mean, the format was definitely different than it was now. We were playing everything from George Clinton to uh, Thomas Doby to Run DMC. I mean, it was a quite a, a variety of music back then, or what we call considered now urban music. So um, we were playing great music like that, and I was really, really into uh, radio, and I got a um, I got a, a weird. Um, call from a gentleman. His name was Alan Lott, and he was a promotion guy. And uh, Alan knew that I I did radio, and I was really really active at retail stores, going to retail stores, and I also worked in nightclubs. So he asked me one day. He said, "Hey, you want to do promotion?" And I didn't know exactly what he was talking about. I really really didn't know. So I asked uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Fred Bugs, and we were working in, in Philadelphia during that time together. And Fred was like, "Hey." What the heck? Why don't you try? Nothing beats a try. So I tried it. I never looked back. It was, it was just immersing. I mean, every day was different. You had so many different tasks on so many different days. No two days were the same. You were um, breaking new acts and just having new music and seeing people enjoy new music was such a. Um, I guess a natural high for me, just seeing people loving new music and, and getting involved with the music scene. So I started and never looked back after that. Wow. Tell me about a couple of uh, artist campaigns you're most proud of in your career. You work with labels major and independent. What In terms of artists, what would be two campaigns that really, you know, you were so proud of? Oh, that's like having a kid and asking, what's your favorite kid? That is very... <laughs> difficult question um i've i've been so blessed to work with some of the greatest people in the world whitney houston prince um puffy uh i i um i always coined myself saying that when i started in on the record side hip-hop was just starting and um Def Jam was just immersing and uh, had met Russell really early in his career starting and actually we were working out of his uh, loft. Def Jam just started working out of the loft and I uh, remember the first records coming out. The very first Def Jam record was actually an R&B record. Orange Juice Jones um, put out the Beastie Boys after that and it just rolled. So. It was great to see the inception of Def Jam and to see what it is today. It, I mean, it, no one would ever knew that. And I think just as far as back then when it came to the labels and early hip hop, um, we just did it for the fun and the notoriety. It was definitely wasn't for the money because we didn't know where we were going. So I had some great, great uh, beginnings with a lot of upstart labels, Def Jam, Fourth and Broadway, Profile Records. Um, I uh, worked initially, one of the initial people working at Uptown Records with Andre Harrell. Um, had a long relationship with Andre Harrell. May you rest in peace. Um, I even worked him when he was a rapper in the group, Dr. Jekyll. Uh -huh. I remember. <laughs> 
So uh, Andre was working at Def Jam. We were all working at Def Jam, and he wanted he wanted to do a little something a little bit different because Def Jam was going heavy rap, and he really looked at R and B and really wanted to do R and B, but he wanted to do it kind of cool and sexy, a different kind of way. Def Jam was really more street, and he wanted mm-hmm. to do something. A little bit more sophisticated, I guess is the word. So um, we started Uptown Heavy D was the first group. We worked Heavy D nationally. I mean, it, it was uh, a great time. I saw Mary J. Blige at the very beginning, Jodeci at the very beginning. Wow. I mean, all the great acts. Um, an amazing story is I got a call from Andre. Andre used to always put me on assignments. And he called me one day. He said, hey, I got this kid. He goes to Howard University. He wants to learn the record business. Craig, why don't you take him under your wing? And uh, I met him at a, um, he was doing a night at a nightclub in Washington, D.C. So I stopped, I went past, the line was around the block. So I went to the front, they had my name at it. Uh, The gentleman's name was Puffy. And Puffy was, uh, he was a big club promoter in college. And I mean, he gave great, great parties. And when I first met Puff, the first thing he said, hey, Craig, my name's Puff. He gave me a bottle of Dom Perignon. I'm like looking at this guy. He's 19 years old, and he's giving me a bottle of Dom Perignon saying, when you finish that, come get another one. I was like, this kid is definitely something cut from a different cloth. And uh, we worked for six months together. He was underneath me. He worked for six months. And he said, Craig, I love what you do with promotion and marketing. It's amazing how you break artists and take something. He said, but I want to really be in a process of creating music. So I said, well, you definitely have to go up to New York and put an intern up in New York. So he went up to New York and you know the story from there. So Puff is a really, really great story. We're still great friends. He gave me with the nickname Uncle Craig that has stuck with me forever. I uh, had a great experience in working with Clive Davis for 10 years. Um, it was some of the greatest days working for Arista Records. You know, Arista had Arista, not only Arista, you had Bad Boy and LaFace. So we had everybody from Whitney Houston to Aretha Franklin to Prince to um, TLC to Tony Braxton to... Um, uh, Notorious B.I.G. and 112 and Faith. We had so many projects back then. It was a great experience of multitasking. Of course, in this business, you know how you really have to know how to multitask. And that was a great experience working for Clive Davis and his excellence and his status of excellence. Uh, I really haven't seen since then we would go yearly we would go and do retreats we would learn how to do selector i was i was amazed on learning selectors many many other things we would go in and go to meetings we would find about research stories um it was really a great training ground and he made sure all his employees were well equipped to do the job which was to market and promote and sell music so clive was a great administrator Clive was a person in which you had a if he had a question especially with this Whitney Houston you would get a, in the morning you would get a little blue ink pen and you would ask a question and you would have to answer that question within two hours so Clive was very very on top of what he did and he would definitely check even radio airplays much as he was involved with his artists he would make sure his radio airplay would be intact. So Clive is a, a, an incredible person to work for. 
Um, after that, I worked at Priority Records for a while, learned a lot about Southern hip hop, worked with Snoop Dogg, which was another incredible time working with him. From there, I went to Jive Records, was a VP at Jive Records. We broke Chris Brown, we broke Sierra. Uh, we had great gospel artists, anything from Kirk Franklin to, um, oh boy, we had so many artists over there. Um, and my mind is just um, going around, and I'll figure out. Um, we had Charlie Wilson. I mean, we worked a lot of different artists over there. R. Kelly was the king over there, and which was another great time and start. From there, I went over to Capitol Records, was a VP at Capitol Records. Um, we had everybody from Anita Baker to Tyrese to Cali Swag District to, again, Snoop Dogg, Kevon Edmonds. Um, we had a great variety of music over there. From Capitol, um, I started Music Matters, and then that's where I am now. Yeah, well, definitely. And, you know, one of the main reasons, Craig, you know, I, I wanted to get you on as soon as possible. You're one of the early adapters to the Clubhouse app. And one thing that I gained so much insight from you while we were all, you know, locked in at home and doubling up with masks was, you know, you started a weekly international touring update on Clubhouse. And I was amazed hearing from people in Amsterdam and London and Asia waiting to move artists uh, back around the world. And I guess from, from all you've learned and studied and you're on planes constantly burning up the frequent flyer miles again, uh, where are we in terms of returning to a sense of normalcy with tours at, at the moment at this point? You know, internationally, it's all over the place. I guess to say the one word, it's just a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that. Um, here in the States, I think we're... Um, we're moving forward, but I think it's not by way of science, it's by way of economics. People are really, really hurting, and people really, really want to go out there and work and make a living. People really, really want to get entertained. So I think here in the States, we've uh, drifted a little bit away from science. And um, the amazing thing about the international clubhouse room I have is, you know, we deal with who's open, who's not, what are your conditions in your country? And that's really the driving force. If there are um, high vaccine levels in certain countries, they're more prone to open up. Um, you know, the UK has gone through its problems and it kind of reflects on what happens in the States. India started out with the Delta strain. We saw it transfer and move through um, Africa, Europe, and then come over here. Um, you know, having that room really gives you information and insights on what's happening in different parts of the world, how this terrible virus is mutating and changing, how we have to adapt to it, and what's working and what's not working. And I think it's just been an amazing place to meet people as well. You know, we're out we for a while, especially when I first started that particular club we were all locked and we were doing that we started in december no one was really touring so it was more of a uplifting trying to figure out where we could go how you're doing in your area it was um, a more of a family call to see how everyone's doing 
to try to uplift people, to try to figure out where you're headed, to try to give some insight on what's going on. And uh, we've got people from Europe that call in, from the UK, Paris, uh, Italy, uh, Denmark, uh, Netherlands, Belgium. Um, we have people coming calling in from Israel. We have people coming in calling in from India. We have people coming calling in from Japan. Um, China, we have people coming calling in from Australia, New Zealand. We have people calling calling in in South America from Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela. We have people calling in from Africa, from South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya. So you're getting a real good feel of what goes on internationally. Um, internationally now, I don't know where we're going to be headed, which is part of what we do. You know, it, it seems that they're going to close down these countries again because these uh, rates are going up. These cases are really, really going up and it's really, really affecting our business again. So, again, it's a great platform to find out what are we doing, how we can move forward, if we can move forward, or what's coming around the bend in other countries. So it's been a really, really gratifying uh, room. I've made a lot of connections with a lot of people in a lot of different countries. I look forward to even visiting a lot of these different people in different countries across the states. I've met promotion people. I've met production people. Uh, the other day I was in... Um, I was in Louisville for a show with Keith Sweat and a couple of other artists, and uh, one of the gentlemen uh, introduced me to the guy that was in charge of all the uh, uh, sound. He was in charge of the back line, and he, they introduced me to Craig Davis. He said, Uncle Craig Davis on Clubhouse? So it's great to even feel that and get that um, um connection and networking there. So the networking has been incredible for us on Clubhouse. I think, think it's been an, an amazing time. I think it came in at an amazing time when no one was working and we all connected. And I've gotten some great, great connections. I've got a lot of great new friends. So it's been really, really great just to be on the Clubhouse. I think this app has been like life-saving for many people. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree. And, and speaking of you know, life-saving. I mean, we know that, you know, artists got really creative over the past uh, 16, 17 months. Uh, we saw the rise of the versus uh, battles with uh, classic artists going up against uh, one another and IG playing their music and, and telling stories. Uh, we also, of course, saw a DJ uh, who had been around a long time by the name of D-Nice. Uh, he just started DJing on IG just to make people feel better and and COVID was in its uh, uh, you know at its height and all of a sudden you've got Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey uh, you know tuning in and, and posting comments and you know now he's hawking Ford F one fifty so it's amazing right. but for the for the average artist Craig how how are the how's the artist community faring at the moment. You know, I, I, I hate to say it, but it kind of breaks down to your, to your demo, your age demos. The younger artists are really, really adapting. It's something that they've always had a phone in their hand. And mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing right now in the entertainment business to connect with your fans is through social sites and on your phone. It's Everyone has a phone. They're, they're, they're um, getting their music from their phone. Um, so... The younger artists understand that they have to constantly be on whatever site, whether it's their Instagram, whether it's their TikTok account, or whether it's their Twitter account. 
So they've, they've really, really kind of mastered it. They, as technology sometimes is, younger people really adapt to it faster than the older generation. Now, uh, a lot of the RMBR acts that I deal with uh, today, because I do have consulting and deal with a lot of different companies, but my older RMB acts, some of them got it. Some of them are still not even really going into the social site and not really trying to discover and change. And I think that, um, sadly enough, I think some of those people that haven't adapted will not be here in another three to five years. Because again, this is the future. We talk about technology. This is technology now. Technology is on your phone. That's what technology is. There were a lot of groups that were hurt during the pandemic that didn't know what to do and or were afraid to go out there for their health reasons, whatever their health reasons were. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of them sat back for a whole year and didn't do it. I've got artists that haven't performed in a year and a half. Um, some, some of them have done really well, uh, whether it was investing, whether they're getting the money from publishing or whatever other alternative streams. They've been doing well, but there are some artists that don't have that that didn't write their own music that that don't have a great uh publishing deal or are scared to go out there so they're really suffering there's some artists that are barely getting by there's some artists that are about to lose homes there's some artists that have lost homes but on the other side there's some artists that have really adapted and they've made the best of it and they've gone and during this pandemic has taken advantage of it and it increased their their uh, brand immensely. Wow, that's, that's something. And, you know, you know, that's a point I wanted to make. The audio streaming universe has stolen a, a large percentage of new music discovery uh, from radio. You know, some say it. I know at one time it was 93% of new music, uh, you know, was discovered at, at radio by consumers. And, you know, depending on who you ask or what research, now it's in the somewhere in the 60 percentile, maybe 65%. Um, from from dealing a lot with both radio promotion and marketing, you know, what can radio do uh, that can really continue to build relationships with the artist community and, and you know, kind of, I, I guess you could say, put to the side some of the comp- competition from the Spotify's, the Apple Music's and others with seemingly endless pockets to uh, collaborate with artists. I think radio brings a unique perspective to music a unique perspective to their listener um, the listener listens to radio to get entertained and not only by the music but by the personalities and I think we radio has to go back to focusing on radio personalities making it fun again being part of the entertainment um, I think when people go and stream a record, they, they want to hear what particularly what they want to hear. They make their own playlist. Um, they know what favorite artist it is. Um, some do it for discovery. Again, I do know that there are a lot of people who go out there for discovery. But I think radio at this point in time has to be stronger locally as well. Mm-hmm. I think they have to go hyper-local. And I think they have to, uh, um, as a whole, they have to together a uh, plan to make sure that they are seen and their brand is 
becoming a local brand. I, I think, again, that's so important. Um, what happens in your area, you want to turn on the radio to find out what, hap- what happens. You want to get entertained by the radio, you want to turn on the radio to make it happen. So being super local and finding out exactly what's going on in your neighborhood is really important, I think, to radio. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And flip to the label side. If, if you know, if, if I'm a major uh, a Sony executive or a Warner, uh, what's the future for major labels going forward? As we see so many boutique labels and so many streaming services uh, doing direct deals with artists, you know, what what's the future of the big three, so to speak? I think the majors will always have their place. I think the power of a major is nothing like that. But I think the indies are, are really, really stepping up and they're breaking new music. They're finding new uh, sounds. They're finding new genres. I think that's the separation between the two. And um, some major labels are going to have some problems, especially with the pandemic. I, 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 you know, throughout the years, I've seen on the label side, if they can make a cut and if it makes sense, they will make a cut. Um, we've done a lot of cutting back on the label side in the past 10 years, and I think that's gonna increase more because they're looking at it and like, hey, we had a whole year, you guys didn't go out on the road, you didn't buy any, you didn't expense anything and we still made profits. So I think they're gonna look at that and they're gonna do some analytics on that and try to find out how they can save some money. And I think, I don't know, departments might shrink. They're shrinking now, but I think they might even shrink a little bit more. Uh, the other reason why I think labels shrink is I think radio is, you know, we're talking about it getting really local, but the radio scene right now is it's becoming more regional. You're getting regional managers now. You're, you're getting more, you're getting uh, less people controlling more radio stations now. So it's not like you used to go to every radio station you had to talk to every program directors. That's changing as well. So you're not going to have that local effect as much as you had before. So I think that's going to be a change as well. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, want to save you a little time for questions. And, you know, Craig, if you can let everybody know how they can reach you, maybe an email address you prefer, if you'd like. Um... Everyone can reach me. Um, I'm on um, Instagram, Uncle Craig Davis. I, I regularly look at my DMs and answer my DMs. Um, on the label side, I'm a senior vice president over at SRG ILS, which is an incredible label. We have everybody from UB40 to Brian McKnight to uh, we're closing a deal. Uh, we just closed a deal with... Um, Johnny Gill, so we have his label, hoping to maybe even get the new edition next project, to um, Lyrica, which is mm-hmm. one of the biggest prolific writers for Chris Brown and everything. So you guys can also hit my email there. It's Craig, C-R-A-I-G, at S-R-G-I-L-S dot com. Also, if you want to also reach me, I do have another email address. It's musicmatters2013 at gmail.com. Great. Well, Craig, listen, man, thank you so much. Always you stick around for a couple of minutes in case we have questions. Absolutely. And I'm going to pass the mic back over to Lloyd. It's really fascinating. You know, we always talk about how we have diverse guests on innovation and audio. Well, uh, take a beat for a minute and think about this. We have Sharina Rice, 
and and you just think about how she got into the thing well she's getting into the things that she's into all the time with the idea of changing the world and innovation and then then you look at craig okay and craig has this long career he never mentions not one time does he mention the word innovation yet everything that's coming out of his mouth all these artists and all of these things that have broken across time that he's been involved in they're nothing but innovation and he's a guy that even though he has this long track record he he sees the innovation curve for these artists and that people have to change. I'm going to tell you something. Things are always changing. You know, he talked for a few minutes about uh, over in Europe or around the world and all these different locations. So let me tell you something. We don't know what's going to happen in the United States with what's going on with the virus. So it's very interesting how the world always changes. And that's one of the reasons that we do innovation in audio and it's great to have these two guests on of course we are if you've got questions for our guest tonight now is the time if you have not raised hit the raise your hand button at the bottom of your phone please do it now uh you'll see hand at the bottom of your screen for your iphone or android just hit the button and of course we'll do the rest uh we do ask that you mute your mic if we bring you up onto the stage if you don't do this we'll send you right back down to try Again, we are recording this event for inclusion in the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast, which will be available on iTunes, Spotify, and a couple of other dozen platforms, uh, probably within an hour of when this live event ends. A big thank you goes to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast associated with the Encouragers and JustJoeProductions.com for handling the audio footprint and distribution of our podcast so that many others can listen to it anywhere that they get their podcast. Of course, he does a great and exceptional job doing this. Uh, one day I'm going to tell you what kind of task he had tonight, which is really kind of interesting and a little hairy. Uh, follow the people on the stage tonight. You know this live event is meant to encourage you and encourage the use of mentors. Look around the room. Find a way to introduce yourself this week if you don't know someone who's here. And uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and ask a question. Sometimes it's intimidating for people to step up and ask questions. So I'm, I'm going to go back to Sharita for a second. And I hate to do this to you, Sharita, but I am going to ask this question because I've been thinking about it since we were talking a few minutes ago. Is there a key area that, that makes you wish that we had more technology right now to fix? in the scientific community in the you know on the leading edge of innovation is there some area that makes you wish we had more technology thanks lloyd i think in general it is inefficient systems that do so for example there are a lot 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 of organizations that are dedicated to helping people who are unhoused and the thing is that there isn't a good centralized system for groups of people to coordinate who does what, and there is a big supply chain thing to that, too, where donations may be very, very variable from week to week, where they may get a donation from a grocery store of 50 pounds of bananas one week, or 100 pounds of mushrooms another week, or so on and so forth. So there's the question of, okay, 
could there be some sort of thing with automated systems that just make this easy to update rather than the current things that are in place, which just do not work because they don't work with human behavior. <laughs> that is the big thing about it because, well, we're not automatons updating some systems and doing all of this entry stuff. It, it's just not as rewarding sometimes as giving someone food. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Well, listen, I, I do want to uh, actually mention and thank Craig again for just a second. I don't have a question for you, Craig, but I do want to say that you're really fascinating in your career arc. And anybody who's worked with Clive Davis, you know, in case people don't know, there is a great documentary on Clive that is on Netflix that's worth anybody watching if you want to know about that, that attention to detail. Craig, was that the most fascinating thing about working? with Clive or was it the picking of the hits? It was that he was involved totally in each of the projects. Whether he was or not, it felt like he was totally involved. It, it felt like he was in the process of recording. He was in the process of marketing. He was in the process of the branding. He was in the total process, which was amazing that he was able to do so much um, and, and especially, and I'm going to say at his age, because again, he was doing this in his late 60s and he was 70s and he was putting in hours. He used to do conventions and it was amazing. Um, BMG conventions, we used to have a day at Arisette. Would, would be, we would work 16 hours. We would do a presentation. We would stand up and do a presentation for Arista, Bad Boy, and LaFace. And it would be a 16-hour presentation. And he would have, the energy was amazing with him. Amazing. Uh, well, he's living his passion like Sharina in this episode of um, Innovation and Audio. Craig, I want to thank you for being uh, a guest on our live event. Sharina, I want to thank you. Of course, you both have been excellent guests tonight. A big thank you to Skip Dillard for creating this event and being an excellent co-host. Don't forget to come back Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the radio rally and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for innovation and audio. You can get updates anytime on our guest schedules, which are all, the, man, you can find them all the way out to September. We've got them scheduled for you at rainmakerpathway.com. Look in the blog section and uh, you just look for the guest. You'll find them. Uh, you can share the encouragers on Clubhouse with your radio and audio friends and innovation friends. If you're on Facebook, you can go to my Facebook page later tonight. L-O-Y-D-F-O-R-D and share the new guest for next week. I'll be sharing that in a few minutes on Facebook within the hour in a visual way that you can share with next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Innovation and Audio. Join us for J.C. Derrick, who will be our guest. Uh, he is the publisher of the digital project called Main Street Daily News in Gainesville, Florida. It has a tie directly to the radio business, too. We're going to talk about the innovative work that they're doing in North Central Florida. You want to be a part of that. Thank you for being a part of this live event, and thank you for being an encourager. Please remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Good night.